Good morning. It's very good to see all of you this morning. Well, most of you. I, I guess I can see like bits of you. <laughs> We're in a um, series, sermon series, that is trying to explain who we uh, are, who we want to be. A lot of what we've talked about over the last several weeks has been aspirational. Um, some of it has been very descriptive. In other words, we're doing better at some of what we want to be than what we're doing at others. Um, we've talked about the fact that prayer is our highest privilege, that grace is for everyone. Everyone matters to God and to us. We are focused on building strong marriages, homes, and discipleship communities. Last week, we heard that we will do whatever it takes to reach the next generation. Next week, we'll hear about when we get to know Jesus, when people get to know Jesus, their lives are changed. And the last one will be everyone has a part to play. Um, a lot of exciting things there. A lot of it I get to see from um, my years in the church, almost, I think, seven now. Uh, I get to see that, yeah, that really is who we are. And some of it is we're doing okay in this and we want to do better. Um, this morning, I get to talk about generosity, that we're going to be a church who chooses to be generous. And um, it is with a lot of joy that I get to say that I have seen our church live up to that um, over and over and over again. And so this is an especially fun sermon because a lot of it is me just getting to be a cheerleader for what God is, has done through um, all of you, all of us. What do you think of when you think of generosity? I think of pies and guns. You probably do too. <laughs> I see that head nodding. Um, when I think of generosity, I, I sat for a while this, uh, this week as I was preparing, just trying to think of people who had been generous in my life, uh, people who had uh, made a large impact in my life. And what I found was that the people who had made a large impact in my life over, um, over those years have to a person been people of generosity. And uh, my, my church, first church that I pastored in uh, Washington State was um, on, on the west side of the mountains, west side of the Cascades, and I had a couple in the church, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Corley. He has gone to be with the Lord. He's watching from heaven this morning. And probably not, right? There's probably better stuff on right now than me. Um, <laughs> By the way, thanks to those of you who are watching from home, don't turn that website. Um, there's more where this came from. Mr. and Mrs. Corley, he, was, he had been a childhood diabetic in Texas. Uh, they were in their 60s, maybe late 60s, when, uh, when I was out there, and that was 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Um, and they didn't have a lot of financial uh, goods, but they loved us, and Mrs. Corley knew that I loved black raspberries. This is not asking you to give me black raspberries um, or to make me black ra raspberry pies, but that sh that's what she would do. Uh, when she found out that I loved black raspberries, she'd make black raspberry pies for every church function. Um, and there would always be one there. And all the people knew, you had better leave a piece for Pastor Sam. <laughs> and Mr. Corley was a gun safety instructor, and he would take us. He'd, he had uh, friends who had some land in the foothills of the Cascades, uh, Mount Rainier. And so he would take me and some of my friends up there and we'd go skeet shooting. 
Um, so I just, uh, when, I, when I thought of all the many people who have been generous to me, I, I thought of them and pies and guns. Um, if we're going to talk about being generous, we should probably define it this morning. And um, Google, who is never wrong, says this, that generosity is a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary. Uh, generosity is one of those things, before I looked it up, I was like, well, I know what it is, but I'm not exactly sure how I'd say it. This is good. That generosity goes beyond what is necessary. So that's what we're talking about this morning, uh, that our church wants to be uh, characterized, known for our generosity. So why be generous? Well, um, the first answer is, uh, duh, we've been commanded to be generous. Um, So if you didn't get that, it's duh. (laughs) We've been commanded to be generous. There are lots of Old Testament passages, lots of New Testament stories about people being generous. Uh, There are lots of examples of Jesus being generous. Uh, I'm not going to turn there, but if you could look at 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17 and 19, uh, through 19, my notes are going to be online with the sermon. If you um, don't catch it, you can look at it later there. But it says very straightforward that those who uh, have resources are to be generous. And um, it it specifically says those who are rich. And if you're wondering if you're rich, um, the answer is almost certainly yes. Um, If you have any kind of free time, if you own things like a cell phone, um, if you've eaten the majority of the meals that people find to be standard in America, if you live in America, uh, you are almost certainly rich. And so we are commanded to be generous, and there are other passages. Uh, But God is so kind. God is so kind because he almost never says, do it because I told you to. He almost always gives us other reasons Uh, other motivations. Um, And so the second thought that I have is that acts of generosity will produce a rich reward that cannot be lost. Acts of generosity will produce a rich reward that cannot be lost. Uh, That 1 Timothy passage, uh, there it says, in giving you are laying up a a foundation for the future. Turn with me to Luke 12. Those of you who have been around for a while know that I love exposition. My preferred preaching style is to find a passage and camp in it and just teach it. This morning you are seeing topical Sam uh, because we're just going to be, we're going to be everywhere this morning. So have your app open or if you have an old-fashioned paper Bible, you can use that. Luke 12. Uh, We're not going to read all this because it's a long passage, but Jesus is talking in in Luke 12 uh, to the crowds, and he's telling them that there's coming a time when when the um, religious leaders are going to persecute you, but don't worry, the Holy Spirit will help you. And when he's just given that piece of uh, comfort, someone in the crowd says, hey, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Uh, It's kind of a jarring thing, and it reveals this man's heart. Jesus said uh, in verse 14, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? That's really, really funny uh, because the answer is the father. Uh, Jesus really is the judge. Um, But he goes on to tell the story of a rich man who had uh, a great year. Lots of uh, produce came in and his barns were already full of 
enough resources to take care of them. And so he did what any of us would do. Uh, he tore down those barns, built bigger ones, and stuffed all his new wealth in that. And then he dies. And God says to him, you fool, uh, who is going to get that money now? Jesus wraps up that discussion. Turn over to the, um, to the end of that, verse 33. His conclusion is, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which will not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The story tells us what the man should have done is give away his resources. He should have been generous with it. And in that way, he would have been putting it in a a savings account in heaven. The New New Living Translation says, where the purses have no holes. When we are generous, we produce a rich reward that cannot be lost. Um, The concluding question is, where and when would you like your treasure? You can have it here and now, and you can enjoy it for this short span of time. Or we can lay it up in heaven where we will get to enjoy it and share it forever. The third reason that we should be generous is because we will become like Jesus as we imitate him. Um, If I were to die soon, uh, my tombstone would not say he was generous. (laughs) You will probably not run into anyone who says, you know, Sam, he's really generous. Uh, Because this sermon is one that had God, not, had God not been working in my heart over the last several years, I would have had to preach as a hypocrite. I have not been generous in my life. Um, that's, I say it not to be funny, but to just acknowledge it um, and to say that it's, that is making it exciting what God's been doing in my heart in the last several years. As I've started to understand um, the significance of generosity and the impact of that that that's had on my life that Uh, We'll come to in a little bit, but I want to be. I'm hoping I live long enough (laughs) and I act like Jesus enough that when I go, uh, someone might say, among other things, he was generous. Um, Not because I want to be known as being generous, but because I want to be known as reflecting Jesus. And Jesus was the very picture of generosity. Ephesians, remember uh, Tim's message? If you want to look at Ephesians 5 with me, you can, you can pop over there. There's a couple things in Ephesians we're going to look at. Um, Tim, uh, a couple weeks ago, was talking about the family, but he was saying that God is going to resource you to do what he calls you to do within the family or whatever it is because he has lavished his love on us, right? God has not given us just the right amount of love to, to check the box, but he has lavished, us, lavished it on it on us. Uh, Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore be imitators as God, of God as beloved children. If I were going to do the new Sam translation, it would say, be like God. Be like God. What is God like? Well, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant 
aroma. God in his great love, as we sang about, as we prayed about, has given us a tremendous gift. Ephesians 2, we're not going to turn back there, but 2, 1 through 6, talks about the fact that we were outside the covenant. If you're a Gentile this morning, you were outside the covenant. We were in darkness. We walked in our sins. We didn't know him. We deserved wrath, and yet he not only saved us, but it says that he seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. How much more generous can you be? Seated with the king of everything. Ephesians 4, 15 is, says this, um, that we should speak truth and love because we are growing up into all aspects of him who is ahead, even Christ. We are becoming like Christ as we behave like Christ. Look at, um, dash over to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. I want to emphasize that generosity is not about feelings. Let me say, but, but Sam, I don't feel generous. Yeah, me neither. I feel like I want to take care of me. But notice that Jesus did not feel poor for us. He became poor. Don't get me wrong, feelings are great. I love it when my feelings match the command that God has given me. Because that makes it a little easier to obey, right? Feelings are great, but actions are far better. And by the way, actions are the thing that will be rewarded. And most importantly, they are the things that actually make us like Jesus. Our feelings don't make us like Jesus. We are not transformed by our feelings. We are transformed by our activities of obedience and Christ-likeness. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Fake it till you make it, baby. Okay, I made that quote up. <laughs> Just so you know, Kip collaborated in the deception. He made the this, this slide for me. Uh, actually, this is from C.S. Lewis. I mean, not this exact thing, but this summary. In his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about the fact that we often don't feel like doing the things that we're commanded to do, and yet we do them anyways. Why is that? Because Christianity is a religion not just of the spirit, but of the body. And that when we do things with our body, it makes us either more like Christ or less. And so he says, when you don't feel like obeying, you fake it. You do it anyway. And that often our feelings will follow our actions. How many times has someone asked you to do something for them? I've been asked to like, help people move. And by the way, many of you have helped me move several times, so thank you. Um, not planning on doing that again soon. But when someone asks you to help them move, aren't you like, no? But you might have to, right? Like maybe your wife says, you're going to go help. And so then you go help. Or maybe it's like mulch day, 
here at the church. And Nick is like, hey, would you please help us load mulch? And you're like, no. But then you're his brother-in-law, so you do it anyway. And I have so many times found that the thing that I thought, ah, I don't want to do that, that I do it, and then I feel good after the fact, right? I feel good like, oh yeah, definitely the right thing to do. Um, that is the way God has built the system that um, thought or feelings often follow activity. Jesse DeLoe, uh, I'll actually quote him, says, you obey your way to the feelings. And by the way, when we look like Christ, when we are generous like he is and was, that is attractive to the world. That is attractive because it is substantive in a time of triviality. We live in a light and fluffy, meaningless era when we are offered so much drivel. And when we will be generous like Jesus was generous, we are offering something that is real and true. The fourth reason we should be generous is because acts of generosity will draw a body of believers together in love and worship. Second Corinthians, uh, if you're still there, you can look at 8.13. Again, all these references are in the notes, which will be with the sermon when it's posted. And in those passages, Paul talks about the fact that in the first one, 8, 13 through 15, he talks about the fact that um, if they will take care of the needs, you might have read this in your reading guide, it's the church in Jerusalem was suffering their poverty because there was a famine and the church, the Gentile churches were helping take care of them, taking an offering to take care of them. And Paul said, first he said, pragmatically speaking, if you take care of them now, they'll be able to take care of you later. And then um, if you look over, we'll actually read this, uh, chapter 9, um, 11 through 15. It says that as you give, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. That as we are generous to someone, we not only meet that need, but praise is being generated to God as that person is thankful. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality, the generosity of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you, they want to see you, they want community with you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to use myself as an illustration now. And um, you're not really supposed to do that when you preach. Um, but I'm going to because I'm not the hero in this story. Um, God is working through WL. Uh, we moved here seven years ago in 2013, and we moved here expecting a child. Uh, just, so you, just so you're not rooting for us along the way, uh, that child eventually passed away, and that's not the point of this. So I want you to have that cleared out so you're not thinking about that, but rather think about 
uh, what we experienced along the way. Leading up to Henry's birth, um, we had all the normal help. Our ABF was great. Church body was lovely. We were given gifts and things like you do to anyone who is going to be having a baby. Uh, Three to four weeks before his uh, due date, we found out that there may be problems, and suddenly he was a high-risk child, and the love started to ramp up at the church, Um, care and concern and uh, kind words. Uh, We had the C-section eventually scheduled um, for April 20, and we got to the hospital, Fort Wayne Lutheran, and... um, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. I don't. Um, and so we're walking through, and we're kind of like, are we in the right place? Are we not? And suddenly, sitting there is Tom Miller. <laughs> Tom had beaten us to the church um, to pray for us as we were going in. It's like, well, I must be in the right place, because <laughs> here's Tom. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to use a lot of names, because I will forget but my wife and I have spent the last couple of days remembering all these things, and we have all the names on a secret list, and God knows those and has rewarded and will reward. And I don't want to take your <laughs> reward from you. Plus, I'll just forget, because I'm not gifted like Bruce with a great memory. So we went into the, um, we went into the C-section, and um, it was confirmed that uh, Henry had... Down syndrome, and that there were problems that needed surgery. Um, all of a sudden, the immediate family rallied, um, taking time off to take care of us. Um, and what was supposed to be just two or three days in the hospital became two weeks, we were told. And um, my wife needed me there, so I couldn't, I couldn't go to work. Um, so some of the cousins said, uh, what are you going to need? How much, you know, how much money do you need to get through this? And we told them what we needed for two weeks. They're like, well, that's okay. Yeah, we'll see what we can do because it's just a couple, you know, just a couple cousins. And they started raising the funds and it started, um, here we go, with the cold water challenge. I'm so curious. How many remember Henry's cold water challenge? Yeah. So I just watched the videos back and most of you who raised your hands, I know you jumped. So the way the cold water challenge was supposed to work, you could be challenged uh, and you could either jump in the cold water or you could give money. So you could could buy your way out, you know, not have to jump in the water. But what, um, and I I know it was Kelly Schneider who set up the page and I think maybe it was the Scantlins or Sprinkles who, who started it, but they changed it to you jumped and gave and then challenged. And in less than a week, we had the money from people jumping, and they were sending us cards um, or bringing it up. And uh, we said, I said to Celeste, I was like, I think we got to call it all off. Like, I don't know, 10 or 15 people jumped, maybe 20. I think in the first week, there were 22 jumps. And... Um, we were talking about it, and we had told someone, we told someone who was running it, like, hey, we, we have the money, you can stop. And they said, uh, we don't think we should. They had had a child uh, who, had, who they had lost, 
And I think they just knew like, hey, hey, you're in for a ride, so hold on uh, and let people be kind. And uh, you can go to the Facebook page. Um, it's called, I think it's called the Yider Cold Water Challenge. And um, you'll see that there on that side are over 65 jumps. And there were more, because I, I looked back at all of them yesterday, and um, there were more. Not all of them made it on that. And we were home for a break once, and uh, we were down at the park in Winona Lake. And uh, I saw some people jumping in the water. <laughs> and I was like, that must be for Henry. So I walked over, and it was. And I, I got, you know, selfie with him and all that. And just... Uh, overwhelmed repeatedly by people's generosity. But it wasn't, you know, we, we think of generosity and we often think of just money, but it, it wasn't just money, it was uh, Facebook posts, it was Facebook messages, it was texts, it was people bringing uh, gift cards for meals, it was people bringing meals. Sorry, I knew I was going to cry, so I brought uh, Kleenexes. You mute my mic. That's not very mute. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm a nightmare for the sound team. Other churches started joining in. Local businesses started joining in. Uh, people from my churches in Illinois, or my church in Illinois started joining in. Our landlord, uh, who is a missionary who was not always funded all the way, cut our rent in half. Um, tons of people helped out with our children. Hardest part about being in the, uh, maybe it is the hardest part, is not being with your kids uh, and not being able to take care of them. Our first hospital stay was five weeks. Um, people were bringing our kids food. Um, Paper goods, we got to come home for one week and we thought everything was good. Um, friends brought us paper towel and toilet paper. This is before there was a run on these things. And uh, paper plates. Someone planted all our flower boxes. Someone else brought us hanging baskets. Our ABF and other ABFs gave uh, abundantly both financial and um, encouragement. He was home for one week and then went back in the hospital for three and a half weeks and the whole thing started over again. Uh, my employer um, gave me money that I didn't earn, um, kept my job for me. Uh, people at that point, um, so then it, that was another three and a half weeks and then he came home for one month. During that one month, people would come and continue to bring and give. And then, uh, then he went back in. And that last day was three weeks. People would come, and that time our kids could be with us because we were in P uh, PICU or PEDS rather than NICU. This was back when hospitals were open. People would bring gifts for Jack and Nora. Someone paid to send Elizabeth to conference. We counted six women who came and sat with Henry so that we could go out to eat spend some downtime together. One of them would play Mozart for him. One called him Hot Mess Henry. Someone brought us quiches 
and a woman who had had a horrific first loss of a child uh, came and took beautiful professional pictures of him after he had been taken off of life support. He passed away at four months in our arms and Bruce was there with me. It was he who helped me process end-of-life decisions and handed me over to uh, Ron Redpath, who I didn't know, didn't know he was a part of our church, Uh, and he helped steer us and was so kind um, in that time of loss when you couldn't think straight. People put together um, the memorial service, hung hundreds of pictures. My cousin Aaron uh, put together a beautiful memorial video for him. Friends from my church in Illinois came. Four women gave Celeste jewelry to, to remember Henry. And then we were home. And Nick and Athena came and sat Shiva with us. Quiet, not needing to be entertained or trying to entertain. Piles upon piles of cards came some with gifts, but all with assurance that Henry was not forgotten and that we were not forgotten. Celeste told me that there were times when it was just the cards that got her through. Sending a card always feels like such a small, insignificant thing, doesn't it? I'm telling you, it's a way that you can be generous. Eventually, the cards slowed. But Celeste said it always seemed that another would come right when she needed it. A reminder that our father was still seeing and caring. And through it all, Kip let me preach. He offered me to to not have to preach. And I was like, I need to preach, man. Uh, It was a way that I dealt with it, processed it. It probably would have been a lot easier for him to not have to deal with me at that time. I'm telling you that I wasn't generous, and, but it was that overflow. As I look back now and I think about who I am, and I'm not, I'm not like, hey, be like me. I'm super generous. I, I, I still don't feel like it a lot of times, but God is working in my heart and changing me. And I look back and I'm like, I wondered, well, what changed that? And it was the overflow. It was the tidal wave of generosity that you all performed through the power of the Holy Spirit on us. And I saw the church draw together during that time. I asked the pastors, am I right? And they were, yes. (laughs) The church drew together because it was fighting together for something. You may say, well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, generous either, but, and the church has never been generous to me in that way. You may not have the same church story, and if you've suffered, and you feel like you've suffered alone, I am sorry. I hope it's because we didn't know, but there are times when we fail. You may not have the same church story, but you have the same Christ story. Scripture says that while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. For me, the generosity that I got to see that was aimed at me reminded me and continues to remind me of God's generosity towards me. And that's the point of the church. 
all our small actions of love and generosity towards each other are supposed to be reminders of the major act of generosity that God has performed. I hope that the story, the point of it all, is to point out that it wasn't just money. Was it money? Yes, we desperately needed it. But it was time. It was help. People came and cleaned our house, cleaned our toilets the night before we came home for the last time. It was prayer. When you spend time praying for me rather than someone else, I'm thankful for that. When you spend your time in prayer rather than watching the next show, you are being generous with your time. It was Facebook posts. I have, I have pleasant, happy memories of Facebook, despite what's happened to it in the last few years, because I remember that it was a key instrument that God used to encourage us. It was all the cards. Now what? First, perform a generosity self-appraisal. Ask God to show you the truth about yourself. Ask your friends. If you're really risky, you can ask your spouse. Ask your accountability partner, your prayer partner. But I would encourage you, even before you leave, to perform this self-appraisal. Secondly, ask Yahweh for help to see and act on opportunities. Sometimes what we need the help is, help is to see past our own inconvenience. Usually acting generous is going to mean inconvenience to you. Ask God to show you opportunities that you have to act. And then what you might find is that you're overwhelmed. Because Sam, the world is broken. It's so messed up. There is so much need. I understand. That's why we do step three. Ask God for clarity on which opportunities to pursue. You are not Jesus. You are not omnipresent. You cannot take care of everything but you can probably take care of quite a bit in your own community, your own circle. Ask God for clarity on which opportunities to pursue. The scriptures are here, but 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us that we should prioritize our family. Someone who doesn't care for their own family, it says, is worse than an outsider. Someone who rejects the faith, who rejects God. I spent a lot of my time in ministry caring and tending more for the people than for my family. That is not God-honoring. We should strive first to be generous to our family, to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to your parents, to your siblings. Be generous with your affection and your time, your attention, Secondly, prioritize believers. Galatians 6.10 says that we should do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith. We should be <laughs> prioritizing one another. 
And third, Jesus says in Luke 14 that we are to prioritize those who can't repay you. Be generous to someone who doesn't have the capacity to be generous back to you in the way that you think. At school, maybe that means that they're not cool. They can't reciprocate with their status. Maybe it means money, maybe it means time. But prioritize those who can't repay you. Fourth, be generous when you don't feel like it. And then thank God for empowering that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 gets a lot of limelight, and it should. It's good stuff. But Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared good works for us to do ahead of time that we should walk in them. When we perform acts of generosity, we're not being super clever and, and unique in our thinking. We are walking in the path that God has set for us. How amazing is it that God has chosen for you to, to do generous things ahead of time. He has given you the resources to do those generous things, and then he rewards us for them. Be generous when you don't feel like it, and then thank God for empowering that. And then finally, joyfully and thoughtfully steward your resources so that you have more to give. Stewardship, in many ways, is a foundation for generosity. When we are foolish with our time, when we waste it and fritter it away, we then don't have that resource of time to give generously to someone. The same is true with our funds. The same is true with our energy. Let's, as believers, be good stewards of the resources that God has put us in charge of. And when we do that, 2 Corinthians 9.11 says that he's going to give us even more. There's some upside-down thinking on this, that when we are generous, God gives us more so that we can be more generous with it. Uh, Some of the most impactful people who came to us were people who I knew had lost their own children. And the passage kept coming to my mind that we should comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. That's a lot of comfort. But when people did that, I knew the cost that they were paying. Sometimes even just to walk in the building. Joyfully and thoughtfully steward your resources so you have more to give. Josh Gibbs says it this way, God has stacked the deck, or stacked the deck? Even God can't do that. God has stacked the deck in favor of love, which means the rules which govern charity, generosity, are wonderfully unreasonable and magnificently unfair. Isn't that beautiful? God has stacked the deck in favor of generosity. Father, I ask that you would help us to live up to our statement that we are going to choose generosity. I can look and I can see that this body has done that over and over again. They've done it with us. They've done it with our sister church in Moa. They've done it with people in need here in the community. Um, Just countless lives have been touched over and over again by generosity that you have foreordained and planned and empowered us to do it. It's It's not our goodness, but it is us wanting to reflect yours. And I pray that that would continue, that it would well up, 
and that those around us would be hit by that same tidal wave of love and generosity that leads them to know you and to glorify you and draws our body together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.